Hello, everybody. Uh, good to have you online with us here uh, this morning. And uh, we had to, uh, you know, make some quick decisions this morning, uh, but uh, we went with it and thank God for the technology that we have to be able uh, to do so. If you are here with us online and this is the first time you've ever joined us, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad you joined us here today. And uh, you called us right at the very end of our sermon series on the book of James, Faith in Action. We've been journeying through this book all summer long. And uh, for those of you that are uh, folks of ours here at Holmes Avenue, uh, you may be wondering, well, where's Ben? Ben had some things come up this week. He was not able to speak for us this morning from CSU. So we're here, we're doing this, and we're, we're going to be good to go. So uh, uh, keep praying for Ben. He's got great things coming for him in ministry, and I'm excited for him. Uh, but he just wasn't able to be with us here this morning. So uh, at this time, uh, we're not... Uh, outside gather together corporately so we we can't take up our tithes and offerings but if you do feel led to give or you want to give under tithe you can do so at homesavenue.com forward slash give uh, we would be appreciative of that continue to push forward on the mission that god has us here doing for his glory uh, we are like i said at the very end of the book of james we're going to be in chapter 5 verses 13 through 20 today and i've entitled the sermon today be faithful be faithful and, and i'll dive into that in just a moment but uh, for those of you that have been joining us, uh, maybe periodically or maybe not throughout the whole series, what we've been seeing through the book of James is this letter that has been written by the half-brother of Jesus, the call for believers to live their lives and put their faith in action and what it means. And I, I think many of us would agree, those that are in here right now that are, are part of the worship team and those of you that have been here and, and looking through this, as a follower of Christ, reading and journeying through the book of James, it's a hard one. It's, it's difficult sometimes to read through because there's a lot of conviction, I think, that comes up for a lot of us. We would all agree at different points throughout this sermon series. I know it's been like that in my own life, and it's just been a powerful, powerful study. And so today, we're looking at this last bit, this prayer of faith, this, this urging uh, of being faithful. And, and I'll touch on that in a moment, but before I do, let's, uh, if you're, at, everybody that's at home, let's honor the reading of God's Word by standing and uh, reading along. James 5, 13 through 20. If anyone is anyone among you suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. If anyone is anyone among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, but he, and he prayed fervently, and it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, <clears throat> excuse me, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, before we go any further, asking of any requests, Lord, I just honor you for who you are. I, I thank you, Lord, that we can sing a song like Waymaker and, and notate the fact in there that even when we can't see it, you're working. You're the one that provides the way to us through Christ Jesus, our Lord. You're the one, Lord, that provides the way to navigate through this life and walking in obedience to you. So, Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you, Lord, that you never let go of us, that you are always with us. You are consistently there. You never leave us nor forsake us. 
Father, I thank you, Lord, that as we've been journeying through uh, your word, Lord, in the book of James, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for this book, Lord, that at times it is difficult to navigate through and to understand because conviction comes about and we are called to repentance and, and all of those different kind of things, Lord. And Lord, I just pray and ask God, as you have already been doing and we've seen evidence of it in our church, Lord, that you would continue to have your way. You sit sovereignly on your throne, Lord, and we honor you for who you are. Lord, I pray that now as I speak, Lord, that the, the meditation of my heart and my mind and everything would be pure. And, and, and Lord, that you would move in such a powerful way during this time. Lord, get me out of the way. Father, I pray the same for our brother and sister congregations, Lord, for those that are boldly standing in the pulpit today and, and proclaiming the word of God. I thank you, Lord, for these churches that are right here in our community, that, that are doing the same thing we're doing, trying our best every single day. To, to walk in obedience so that every man, woman, and child in our circle of accountability has multiple opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have your way, Lord. We love you. We bless you. In Christ's strong name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> All right. So, in looking at this passage today, we are going to see how James concludes this letter by noting the importance of faithfulness in prayer according to the Lord's perfect will, righteous living in biblical community, and being willing to speak out. So, uh, those of you, you've had your journals and, and you're taking those notes along with us, the first point is the importance of faithful prayer according to the Lord's will. Uh, uh, importance of faithful prayer according to the Lord's will. Look at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. James begins this concluding thought in this section on prayer by speaking of suffering at the very beginning. And in doing so, if you can recall back from all the way at week one, or if you weren't able to join us for week one, you can go on the website and listen, or you can just go and look in the beginning of the book of James. In chapter one, verses two through four, we're seeing how, when we are, are facing trials, how we are to react. James one, two, three, four says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James indicates that if we are suffering, or if we're facing something that is difficult, our immediate response should obviously be to come before the Lord, but it should also be to have joy. In the midst of difficult times, in the midst of suffering, we are to face it with joy. You might say, well, Brian, that's still difficult to understand. And I've, I've been navigating through this book of James this whole time, but even back on week one, I still haven't got past that thought. And in, in our earthly, sinful minds, that is a difficult thing to wrap our mind around. We're facing something hard, and yet we should have joy with it. But the reality of it is, when we are facing something that is difficult, and we have suffering in our lives, Christ Jesus is there with us through it. He sustains us. He gets us through it. So therefore, we should have joy in the midst of the suffering. He also states here that we are to be cheerful. He said, if you are cheerful, you should sing praise. We should be joyful and thankful to God in the midst of the good. Obviously, if things are going well, we want to praise God, do we not? We want to say, thank you, Lord, for things going well. Things are great. I want to sing praise to you. I want to honor you. But I want to caution you as well. In those moments where things are well and things are going good, we may also want to put Lord over here. At least say, ah, you know, I'm good now, God. Thank you. I'll, I'll hit you up whenever it's difficult again. 
That's not the reality of what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to continually be seeking to live our lives for God's glory. So in the moments that are good, when we're cheerful, we will sing praise to him. But we're in those moments where it's suffering. We should cry out to him in prayer with a joyful heart, thankful that we can do that. Verse 14 says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Here in verse 14, James calls the readers who are sick to call among the church elders to be prayed over and be anointed with oil. And this Greek word that it comes from is for the term sick or to be weak. And he's indicating that if there is someone who is sick in the body, he calls for the elders of the church. We've actually seen this play out in time, at least in the five years that I've been here at Holmes Avenue, almost five years. Uh, we've seen opportunities where people have come forward in faith, not because they've been told to do so, but they've seen a passage like this and they're saying, hey, I need the, the leadership to pray over me. I, I need this. And, and we come before it and hope, hope that the, the result of what we are wanting, the answer to our prayer is for healing in this matter or for this or that. We have to remember also it's according to God's will, and I'll get to that in a minute. There's something I want to point out here, first and foremost. It says the one with the illness needs to call on the elders. There's something that we have to see from this passage, church, and it's something that is all throughout the New Testament. We see it in Paul's letters. We see it in other places. This term elder is not just referring to someone that is of an older age. Now, you can look it up in the Strong's, and you can look it up in the Vine Dictionary Concordance, and you can see that, yes, it could be used in that regard. But in the context of what we're seeing here with elders, it's talking about an elder body of the church. And when we see this, this it's this plurality-type mindset. For far too long, we've seen this misunderstanding in the church recently. Uh, and when I say recently, I mean over the last few decades. Uh, we've seen this, this single pastor model, and the pastor, is the, he's the one that's supposed to take it and run with it and have everything weigh on him, and that's not biblical. It's not. That's why, by God's grace, we've already been starting to see this play out in the tenure I've been here at Holmes, uh, before I even moved into the role that I'm in now. And thank God that we have Walter here as well, and, and right before God called Michael and Alyssa away, the same thing was going to be able to happen with Michael. We were seeing this beautiful plurality of elders leading and coming about and helping usher in the leading of the congregation. And so we have to make sure that we notate what James is speaking about here in this matter. This plurality, this, this leadership of elders that are ministering. And that term elder can, can just be simultaneous there with pastor. And it's this, this idea of this plurality, this body that is leading God's people, that is shepherding the flock of God. We see here that it, after they've been called to pray over the person... They are to anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, what exactly does this accomplish? accomplish? There's a couple of things that we need to point out. First off, we've got to understand what it is and what it's not. What it's not in this reference is for medical purposes. Now, there are times where oil was used to, to uh, be used in a medical-type context for that. It does not also mean uh, something that uh, if you have a uh, family member or maybe you also had a Roman Catholic background, uh, you might understand the sacrament of extreme unction, where they would come in and they would anoint a body with oil right before the person is about to pass away. And in doing so, they think that they're covering the remnant of their sin and they're, they're making them strong enough for what is about to come in the next life. And that also is not biblical. What we're seeing here in this example is the symbolic 
purpose of the anointing of the oil. The oil itself does not do anything to save the person, but it's the symbolicness of what it is. Now, remember, what, what, when, we, when we've seen something like this take place uh, with the oil in the scriptures, we see how it is for consecra consecrating oneself or for setting apart for a particular service or something like that. Okay? So in this regard here, it can also represent a symbolic way of the Holy Spirit. Kent Hughes says it like this. Applying the oil to the sick is a rich symbolic act. Setting the sick apart to be ministered to in a special way by the Holy Spirit. When applied by the loving hands of the elders, it is a profound vehicle for comfort and encouragement. And so it's this beautiful symbol of what is taking place when they do that. Now look at 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, this first part of verse 15, 15a, if you will, we see here that we've got to make sure that we do not read that passage out of context. When I was starting out my seminary career, and Walter can attest to this, he's heard it too, Danny Aiken, who's the president of Southeastern Seminary, he consistently in my Hermeneutics class would say, context is key. Context is key. Context is key. And so I want to encourage everyone in our congregation that context is key. Find what you're seeing in the scriptures and look at the entire context of the passage. Because if we look at verse 15 by itself, if we just pluck it out of there and it says, The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. The, the context there could, could be as, oh, well, I'm sick, so if I just pray, I'm going to get what I'm praying for. And that's not the case, okay? So we have to understand the fact, especially if we see someone that is, for example, dying, and they're on their deathbed, and we're crying out to God, asking them to save them, and whatnot, and then that person still dies. Does that mean that God's not good? No. It means that God is still sovereign over this world. God knows what is taking place, because the reality is the mortality rate of humans is what? 100%. We're all going to die at some point. The reality of our fallen state is that that time is coming. And it may be hard for us un to understand, but this prayer of faith that we see in this first part of verse 15 begins and ends with the sovereignty of God. We have to make sure that we get that down. That is one of the very core truths of the scriptures. God is sovereign over his creation, period. And because he is sovereign, that means that we submit to him. That means that he is God, and we walk in obedience to him, and what he says goes. What his will is, is more than what our will is. He is in control. He knows the best result of what is to come. He knows what is coming around the corner that we can't even see yet. We can't go about asking and thinking in ways for what we want without submitting to what God wants. Because the reality is, what we want, what our thoughts are, they're not his. The book of Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, for those of us going through the chronological plan, this may sound familiar to you. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, for those of you that were able to join us at the tail end of last year, going into the beginning of this year, and I know based on how 2020 has gone, you may not even remember what things were like at the early part of this year. And I get that. But we were going through the book of 1 John together. And in doing so, we see something very, very important when we're crying out to God our prayers and our requests. 1 John 5, 14. 
And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We have to remember that it is your will, Lord, and not mine. We have to remember that. We have to say, Lord, I want so badly to see this happen. I want so badly to see this person healed of this cancer. I have someone that is very dear to me in my own life that is struggling and battling cancer. And once a good diagnosis comes, usually about a month or two later, it feels like the cancer comes back. And it's hard. And it's difficult. And we can pray that. And we can say, Lord, please heal this person of this cancer. Take this away. But we must not stop there, church. We must follow what God lays out for us through Christ in the model prayer. We're, we're taught how to pray for Matthew 6. We covered this earlier this year in the, in the spiritual disciplines. But when we come before the Father and we cry out to him, distraction-free, away from everything, we get along with him and we cry out to him and we're laying these requests down at his feet after we acknowledge who he is, after we glorify him for who he is, first and foremost, and we lay all these things out where we say that your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So when we cry out these prayers, these prayers asking for these things to take place, we must remember every single time, Lord, let your will be done with the situation. Because it is all according to your will. It's all according to your purpose. As difficult as it may be for me in my feeble mind to understand, Lord, you are sovereign. You are in control. I submit to your will, not my own. The second part of 15. I'll read again to you. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. This is a good reminder to us that our sin at times, if we are diving into sin that is deep and it is bad and it is unhealthy, these things can bring about sickness in our lives, church. These things can bring about things that are not good for us. James is implying here that unconfessed sin could result in physical sickness as well. Sin hurts. Sin is painful. Sin ruins lives. I want to remind us also in this opening section, this first point, that we, we don't necessarily feel comfortable, I think, at times with, with praying that God would just move and, and do healing. We, we lay out these lists of requests, and it's almost like we think, all right, Lord, I'm just going to lay here, and, and hopefully something will happen. Man, we got we to pray boldly. we got to ask God to move and work. And, and I would dare say not even just in healing according to his will, but also in the work that he's called us to do. We need to be praying and asking according to his will that we would have multiple opportunities to proclaim the gospel so that people around us would come to faith in Christ. That he would make the way so that we would sit here at 4602 Durant Avenue as a beacon of light in the darkness. We, we, we highlighted at the beginning of the service when Pastor Walter spoke about the spaghetti dinner. And church, in, in six months, this is, this is boasting in Christ. In six months, we have made more connections with the people around this block than we've seen at least in the last five years here at this church. And I praise God for that. Just last night, I met a, a guy that just moved on our street. And I'm praying that God will continue to do things like that. And I'm asking these things, but I'm asking it according to his will. And I pray that you are doing the same. So not only 
We see this importance of faithful prayer according to the Lord's will, but secondly, the importance of faithful, righteous living in biblical community. The importance of faithful, righteous living in biblical community. Look at verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Since James implies to us that unconfessed sin could result in some physical sickness or, and we have those difficulties that come about because of it, we need to take things a step further to understand where he's going with this, okay? Because right there in 16, he says, therefore, okay? What is it therefore? We have to understand that, okay? So we see this, and he's pointing to the believers needing to have this importance of and this necessity, this priority of biblical community in their lives. Now, it says there in 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. I would dare say, church, that before we get even to that point where we confess our sins to one another and pray for one another, we must be confessing our sins to God. We must. We must be repenting of these sins that we are struggling with, that we're battling, and we need to give those to the Lord and say, Lord, I repent of it. And when we repent, church, that's going to 180. That's fleeing from it. That's saying no more. I don't need this in my life. It is sinful against God. I repent of this, and I'm getting away from it. And we're running from it, staying away from it as much as we can. So we do that first. We repent of it. We confess it to God, and then we confess our sins to one another. So in our confessing of our sins, there's times where we must confess our sins against the ones we've done wrong. There's times that we must confess our sins that, that we are just holding on to, that maybe we even think of as, oh, nobody knows about this sin. Only I know about this sin. And we keep it over here in this closet. But here's the reality. Just as we saw last year with Jonah, and God calling him to Nineveh, and he says, no thanks, I'm going this way to Tarshish. Get away. I'm fleeing from this. And he thinks that he's getting away from God. He's running from God. God can't catch me. He doesn't know what's going on. I'm getting out of God. I don't want to do that. We can have that same kind of mindset when it comes to our sin. I've got this sin. Nobody knows about this sin. It's my sin. I'm good. I don't have to share this with anybody. This is what I've got. It's my struggle. It is what it is. But here's the reality, church. God knows. God is omnipresent. God is with us. He knows everything. He sees it all. We are his creation. He knows every head number on our head. He knows everything about us. How dare we think that we can just hide this from him? We must repent and confess it. Now, you might say when it comes to confessing your sins to others, to one another, within the confines of the body, you might say, well, I don't want anybody to know my business. Okay, well, that's understandable. But the reality is, if we're trying to hide these things and keep them from others, we're going to also try to do the same for God. And we can't do that. We've got to be open and honest and, and, and have these accountable relationships with other people. Now, in this moment of confession of sins, keeping each other accountable, you might sit there and say, well, Brian... You know, I don't want to be the one that's got to go in, and I, I don't want to have to, to confess everything that I've got going on in my life, and, and it's just going to be this whole thing of me, and, and I'm just going to lay it all out. No, 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 no. 16 says, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another. It's this mutual thing that takes place. We, we must have men, listen, 
Men, we must have biblical, accountable relationships in our lives. Women, you must have biblical, accountable relationships in your lives. Women to women, men to men. We, we've got to have that in our lives. And, and I praise God. I'm seeing what is happening in this church. We are seeing a, a good handful of relationships like that starting to sprout. We're seeing men disciple men. We're seeing women disciple women. But church, we've got to intensify it. Because when we are discipling one another, and we're seeing people grow in their faith in that process of growing, there's moments where we've got to be legit and real and say, this is what I have going on in my life. And I need you as my accountability partner to keep me honest, to make it clear. Because in doing so, in having these times of doing this confession with each other, we are still growing deeper and deeper in our sanctification because we're doing it around the word of God. We're praying for one another. We're equipping one another to prepare us for the mission that we are on. Not the mission that is to come. The mission that we are on. Which, little sidebar. You say, well, Robbie, you keep saying mission. Walter keeps saying mission. Everybody's talking about the mission. But I don't feel like I'm good to go and I'm ready for the mission right now. Let me tell you something. I don't care if you're one of the folks that just came to faith in Christ Jesus. And you're being discipled now. Or you might say, well, I've been a believer for, for X amount of years, but I don't feel like I'm confident and I'm ready yet. Here's the thing. If you have that biblical community around you and you are being equipped, you are being discipled, you can be used by God. Because you have a powerful story of how God miraculously saved your soul. And you can be used for the mission. Now, I'm just going to put it out there. If you're sitting there and you say, well, I don't, I, I just, I don't want to be open and honest with somebody like that. I don't, I don't want to have that in my life. Well, I would dare say that you're walking on a very, very, very thin line. You need to have that in your life. We all need to have that in your life. Your pastors need to have that in their lives. It has to happen. We can see here the ending of verse 16, uh, what happens when a righteous person prays. And I quoted him earlier, but I'm quoting him again. Kent Hughes, he puts it this way, because we are all considered righteous due to Christ's atoning work. I know that because of the finished work of Jesus and what he has done when God looks upon us, he sees the righteousness of Christ that covers us. I understand that. But he says, those with righteous lives are powerful in prayer. Those with righteous lives are powerful in prayer. The end of verse 16 tells us the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We must continue to grow in this area, church family. I want to encourage you with this. I'm not, I'm not bringing a hammer down on anybody. I want to encourage us. We must not hold on to sin. We must let go of it. We must pursue holiness. We must not make the excuses. We must say, this is the mission that God has for us. We have seen the hand of God move and work in this church in the last six months. Dare say, in ways that we haven't seen in quite some time. Just within the last year, we have seen five people come to faith in Christ. Before that, we haven't seen anybody come to faith in quite some time. God is moving and working, and it's not because of anybody that stands on a platform before you or that sings songs. It's because he is moving and working, and his people are living their lives in full surrender to say, Lord, have your way. Have your way. Move. Use me. As the prophet Isaiah says, hear my, save me. Do whatever it is that you want in my life. Can you imagine, church, what would happen 
all did that. If we all, in one accord, not just some of us, not just most of us, but all of us, said, you know what? I don't feel like I can handle this. I don't feel like I can do this. Matter of fact, I know I can't do this on my own, but I know that the power of God through the Holy Spirit that is living inside of me as a confessed, repentant believer in Christ Jesus, he says, do it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to pursue holiness. I'm going to pursue this righteous living. And so that when I cry out to God every day at 10.02 in the morning, praying Luke 10.2, knowing that God and trusting that God is going to move and work. Now he gives us the example in 17 and 18 of Elijah. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. We see that James gives this example of Elijah, and we look at the story of Elijah, and we look at his life, and we're like, yeah, well, of course James is going to reference Elijah. This is Elijah. This is, this is, this is the prophet Elijah. This is the guy that gets called up to earth. He doesn't even die. Of course that's going to happen. Of course. Of course James is going to reference that. But here's the thing, church. This is what I want you to miss. Because I think there's times where we read things in the Word and we see things and we're like, man, yeah, of course Paul's going to say that. It's Paul. Of course James is going to reference Elijah. It's Elijah. Look at what it says in 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. If that doesn't comfort your soul, I don't know what will. He had a nature like ours. Layman's terms, he was a sinner, jacked up, just like you and me. Yet God used him powerfully. We see countless examples of the calling of the disciples. I always, time and time again, think about Matthew. As Jesus calls Matthew to follow after him, Matthew is a tax collector. He is robbing people. And yet God calls him and he follows him. And uses him. I think of Peter, who denies Jesus three times. And yet God uses him and says that he will build his church using Peter. It's powerful church. So we can see here that there are these examples where it tells us Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And we realize, wait a minute, if God could use Elijah and he had a nature like mine, well, man, sign me up, Lord, let's do this. We have to have that mindset. It says that although he had a nature like ours, he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And sure enough, for three years and six months, it doesn't rain on the earth. He fervently prayed to God. Although he was a sinner, God still used him to do powerful things. And then it tells us in the second part of 17 that he prayed fervently. He continues to pray these things. This term fervently, we can also look at it as devotedly. This devotion to this concept. This passionate prayer over and over. What's a term that we continually hear every single day? Earnestly. If we wake up, church, and we say, today, just like every day moving forward, but I'm going to focus on right here and right now. I'm going to live my life in full obedience to you, God. I want to be your hands and your feet. I want to engage with people that are lost. So I ask that you literally send me lost people at my doorstep if need be. 
And Lord, I'm going to be obedient to you. I'm going to trust you. And as I see the opportunity, I'm going to be open about it. And Lord, I'm coming before you, and I'm crying out to you fervently in prayer that you would answer this. Lord, that as I live this life of obedience to you, I'm also trusting that you are moving and you are working in your church. Your church at Holmes Avenue, Cooper River, Portside, Friendship, you name it. That you are continually moving and working through your church. And I have the opportunity to be a part of it because of the saving faith that I have in Christ Jesus, my Lord. So that is why I'm going to pray earnestly. Not just in a rhythm, not just in a pattern, earnestly, every day, I'm going to cry out to you, Luke 10, 2. Because, Lord, just as you tell me, you tell me that the harvest is plentiful. Church, that means that there are many people in this community that are lost and desperately need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Harvest is plentiful. Labors are few. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out labors into his harvest. That we would build up labors through Holmes Avenue Baptist Church, through these other churches, and we would send them out for God's glory. And so that prayerfully people would come to faith in Christ. So we pray and we ask God and we understand that there's this importance of faithful prayer according to the Lord's will. We understand that there's this importance of faithful, righteous living in the biblical community. And lastly, the importance of faithful speaking out. The importance of faithful speaking out. I'm just going to tie this right off of what we just talked about with the biblical community. Look at 19 and 20. This will be very quickly. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will overcome a multitude of sins. We see here specifically in 19 this continuation of this biblical community mindset. And naturally, after reading this text today, we all may feel this sense of conviction or the need to repent. And if you're like me, there's, there's all through the journey of the book of James, there's been times where it's like, ooh, Lord, we need to talk right now. And that's just the, the power of God's word moving and working and, and the conviction of God and, and laying things out for us. Now, for others, this might not be the case. Because there may be people that do not have a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We may see, for example, a brother or a sister who is wandering from the faith. And they do not have any desire to return. And, and folks, here's the thing. And this might sound harsh, but it's reality. If we see someone who says that they're a follower of Christ, and yet they go down a wandering path, and they have no repentance, they have no conviction, there's nothing, there's no fruit to be seen. We, we are not the ones that can judge them, but the, the question would be, does the person even have a relationship with Christ? Are they truly saved? The reality is, church, that in churches all across our country today, there are people that maybe come in and they sit in a pew or a chair or a beanbag or an outside lawn chair, and they, they hear the word every week, and then they're just there to check a box. They're not regenerate believers. They think that they're doing what they need to do to make all the works work so that they can be good to good God when they go to die. The reality is that's not necessarily the case. The reality is that's not truth of the scriptures. Our faith is not based on doing a lot of works to get God's favor because we will never earn God. 
God's favor because our sin separates us from God. The reality is we need, because of how messed up we are, how sinful we are, because of the effects of the fall from Genesis 3, we need a perfect sacrifice in our place. And that perfect sacrifice was accomplished at Calvary's cross when Jesus Christ, the spotless, perfect Lamb of God, was beaten and flogged and mocked, nailed to the cross where God's wrath poured out on him. Until the moment he said, it is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he dies. The curtain in the temple is torn. He's buried inside the tomb, and then three days later he resurrects from the grave. That is how we have saving faith. That is how we know and we trust that we are his. Now, looking at this concept of biblical community, continuing to live in it, we see that those there are those who are uh, maybe wandering in the faith, and they are truly generous believers, and they just need somebody to come alongside and say, hey man, what, what's going on with you? And it, it opens that door for that confession of the sins. And say, man, I, I was messed up, man. I, I, I'm going down this path. I need to stop. I repent. And we see the beauty of that and this bringing them back into the fold. And the image that continually keeps coming into my mind when I read this verse is that of a shepherd with a sheep that is starting to wander from the path. Shepherd goes and he gets that sheep and he brings them back. The beauty of what we see from this. And then in 20, James indicates that if we do this, we are bringing that sinner back from wandering and the potential issues of an eternal death, especially for those that maybe are here just checking the box. There could be people that are sitting in our church or listening online right now that do not know and understand what I meant when I just said a minute ago about what Jesus did for us on Calvary's cross. And you may say, man, I've heard stuff every single week when you've had stuff online. I've sat in your pew every single week. I've sat in this church's pew all the time, and I thought everything was good. But I think there's something more that I'm missing. Because the reality is this, church, and those listening, a lot of times we wander and we try to find things to sustain us and give us life when all they do is lead us down a path of destruction. The only thing that gives life is the living water of Christ Jesus, our Lord. I pray that you know him. I pray that if you don't have a desire to come and have biblical community, that the Lord would impress that on you. That he would convict you of that, the need to have that in your life. Because I'll tell you, you can't, it's a phrase that many, many churches will use, and it can be so played out, but the reality is we can't do life alone. We need each other. We need the church, one body, moving together, working together for the purpose of accomplishing God's mission so that every man, woman, and child has multiple opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask the band, they're going to go ahead and come forward as we conclude our service time. But before uh, we move into our singing, they can go ahead and come forward still. Uh, I'm going to ask you to, to do what we do every time at the end of our message. I want you to stop for a moment and evaluate what is going on. What has God been saying to you through this time? What, what is stirring in you right now? Ask God, what is it that you want me to do next? If you are a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, you say, Lord, I've heard something said today, and I need to know what is the next step that you want me to do with this. I ask you, God, to make it clear to me. 
You may be sitting there and say, I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I need to know what in the world I need to do next. The great thing is you can go to homesaturday.com forward slash contact, send us a message, reach out however way, shape, or form you can, and ask us, and we will come alongside of you and tell you what it means to follow Jesus. And if you come to faith in Christ, we will share with you what it means to be a follower of Christ, growing and being discipled, being equipped, living in that biblical community, so that prayerfully you can be used by God to reach others that are far from Him. So I'm going to pause for a moment for some quiet reflection and prayer, and then I'll pray, and then we'll sing. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, you are so good. Lord, you are just, you are sovereign. You reign supremely over this world. We are your creation, Lord, deserving your wrath. Yet for those of us in Christ, you sent Christ Jesus to this earth to be the ultimate sacrifice in our place. We don't deserve that. We are sinners. We don't deserve your love, your grace, and your mercy, Lord, but you give it to us. I thank you for that. Father, I pray for the one listening right now that is a repentant follower of Christ. And they say, well, you know what? I, I need this in my life, whatever it may be, that you have laid on their heart. Lord, I pray that they would take the bold measures right now, Lord, to step out and say, I need this. Help me to get there. Lord, for the one listening right now that, that doesn't have a relationship with you, maybe something has been said today and they, they feel your spirit moving right now in their heart. And they say, I need Jesus. Lord, I pray, God, that, that they would reach out and they would say, I need Jesus in my life. I need Jesus to save me. So that we can lead them in that prayerfully, Lord, and rejoice what you're doing. Rejoice for the one coming to faith. Rejoice for the one that knows you that says, I need to do this next. Father, maybe for the one that is listening right now that has a relationship with you, Lord, but they, they haven't gone forward publicly with that in baptism. Or have them reach out, Lord, let us know. For the one that wants to be discipled and equipped, let them do the same. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would live lives that follow the scriptures so that we can be focused on the mission. Father, I pray, Lord, that you have your way during this time. I love you, Lord, and I thank you.